today we start at the very beginning. We start at the beginning of the story. Um, we start where Jesus had instructed his disciples in Acts chapter 1 to wait in Jerusalem until they received the gift from on high. And when they had received the gift of the Spirit, they would receive power to be witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem and Judea, to Samaria, the place you don't like to go, you want, don't want to go, and then out until the end, ends of the earth. And the rest of the story then, then spells that out and shows how that happens. So today we jump in, and so I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, however you get your Bibles, whether it's electronic or in book form. If you don't have a Bible, grab one out of the seat back in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that one with you. We want it as a gift for you. And so take that home and continue to read. We'll be in Acts chapter 2. You can just keep reading Acts throughout the week and hear how the Holy Spirit goes. We call this the Acts of the Apostle, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Apostles and the believers as this message of this good news of Jesus spreads to all the known world. Well, let us hear from the Word of the Lord in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of their own, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, ah, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Everybody say all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will put even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above the sun and signs on the earth below blood and fire billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone. Let's all say everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
This is the Word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. What a great passage. We're going to unpack that, but before, i got to, I got to show you my old motorcycle. Now, I know I'm a week off because last week was Biker Blessing, and I just want to say thank you to everybody who helped welcome our, our visitors and our guests. Uh, it was great. We had quite a few bikes out there. We ate, we served them food, and then I was able to bless them and help their, you know, hopefully help their bikes stay upright on two wheels or three. There were a few three-wheelers. But uh, I want to tell you about my, my motorcycle. So uh, this motorcycle was in my father-in-law's garage. And we were down there visiting around Thanksgiving time, or maybe it was the end of summer. It was the end of summer. We were down visiting, and I saw him putting this bike uh, somewhat together. See, for many years, it had been my mother-in-law's trike. She didn't like two wheels, but she'd ride it on three wheels. And if it had three wheels, she would ride it faster than any other person could ever possibly ride. I heard the stories about her going like a hundred and some down the West Virginia turnpike on three wheels on that bike. Pretty impressive, right? Yeah, the, the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. Uh, but I was watching him because he was taking off the kit. They had gotten a, a new bike for her, and he was going to take that kit and put it onto her, her new bike. And the old bike was being put together. This is I know it doesn't necessarily look like it, but this is a 1988 Harley-Davidson Sportster 883. But my father-in-law was quick to tell me that he had bored out the cylinders, whatever that means, and uh, had made it, uh, you know, expanded the engine, so now it would go faster than an 883. It had more power than an 883, and you could really get this thing going. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's awesome awesome. And uh, so he was putting on different, oh, I, I see you're putting it back into two wheels. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about this. Uh, it, it's a good bike. I, I think it'll, it'll go well. And so he was telling me more about the engines and more about this and that and stories about it. And I was like, yes, oh, that's uh, so awesome. And then he said, do you like this bike? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, happy birthday. It was going to be it was going to be my 40th birthday in November. Now, he he put a little little thing in there. He said, "You have to give me $1 for it so I can tell my son that I sold it to you." <laughs> I said, "Done." <laughs> there it is. We'll delete that from the uh from the uh websites in case Kevin is listening. But I got to get in on the story. Now the bike was going to be mine and I could drive it and I could have fun with it and, and go here and there. And, and on many of our bike trips, I could experience what a breakdown of a Harley is like. And, and I could begin a, a motorcycle trip and have it end just over on 12th Street. Uh, it was a very short trip, but memorable. Uh, I could do all of this. I got to be a part of the great story of this bike that I lovingly called the Frankenstein bike. Because it was just put together with all kinds of parts. But I loved it. I enjoyed it. It was fun for a time. When, when I think about that story, I think about that today. What this means for us today. As we enter into the story of Pentecost. And what that means is so we've got to unpack some of the symbolism. And oh my goodness. I will not even have a time to get into half of all the symbolism that is wrapped up in what happened to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. 
So lean in with me. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna unpack some of this. I'm just gonna unpack a little bit of it. If you want to hear more, then you're gonna have to email me, and I'll try and help you uh, hear a little bit more of the symbolism because this day is packed full of the story of God's people, of the children of Israel, all the way through to what was happening right there in that moment. And so I want to start by saying this we call Pentecost, but in the Jewish, in Judaism, the Jews would call it the, the Feast of Shavuot. All right, so Shavuot is Hebrew and Greek is Pentecost. Shavuot means weeks for it is seven weeks, and then the day, ha- the celebration of the day happens. Seven times seven is how much, math majors? Forty-nine. And then it happens on the next day, right? After the 49 days, it happens on that day. And that would be how many days? Fifty. Very good. You're good at math. And so uh, that's, and that's what it means in Greek. It means 50. Pentecost means 50 days. And so it's the same, same thing in different languages. So now, weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost, 50 days. But what does it mean? What, what is all of this about? It is a major pilgrim festival. That means if you are of able body and have the economics to do so, you should make your way to Jerusalem for this feast. It could swell the city of Jerusalem up to four times its capacity. If you've ever been or lived near or in a city that hosted the Olympics, think about that. All I heard when it was in Los Angeles was, we don't want the Olympics back here. Because it was like, we have bad traffic as it is. And then you swell it to two or three times the size. We couldn't get anywhere for the whole month of July. And, and so imagine that happening there. It, it is something. But it celebrates the grain harvest. So they are told that when you first put the sickle to the barley, you are to grab a, the shock of grain and you are to wave it as an offering before the Lord. I know it seems, seems strange to us. But that's the beginning. And then seven weeks later, you would have done all your harvesting. You would have gone through those seven weeks and you will finish with the harvest of wheat. So it is about grain harvest. And what you do at the end on Shavuot is you bring a loaf of bread. And so that is part of that. So it begins with with the barley and ends with the wheat harvest. And this is important for you to know. Because the bread you bring at Shavuot is new yeast. Because in Passover, this is one of the... I know, this is a lot of information. Are you with me? Still with me? One of the things before Passover is you got rid of all the yeast in your home. You got rid of it. That's why, you know, at Passover, when they're eating, it's matzo crackers. It's like crackers, you know. And you have that all through those times. But then at Shavuot, you bring yeast back in. It's the new yeast that you will use from that moment on until Passover comes again. And that will be in your bread. I mean, imagine... 50 days of eating nothing but saltine crackers. You no, know, you know tomato soup. I don't know, that might be kosher. Uh, but crackers, just crackers. And then imagine the joy of smelling fresh baked bread with yeast. And after 50 days of eating crackers, you get to sink your teeth into soft, Warm, buttered bread. Is butter kosher? Uh, I think so. But you get, you get what I'm saying. This, this, new, this new thing is a new thing. But yeast 
is also a symbol for a teaching. Remember Jesus said, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. He wasn't talking about like they were going around throwing yeast packets into your bread when they weren't supposed to. He was saying, beware of their teaching. For their teaching is leading to violence, is leading to legalism, is leading to things that keep people captive instead of setting them free the way God wants them. And so... We have to hold all of this intention as we go on. So it is also a celebration then because of this new yeast. It's also a celebration of the giving of the Torah. And Torah in Hebrew means teaching. It recalls the day of Mount Sinai when God gave the commandments. That this is a new yeast. This is a new teaching. This is the way to live in partnership with God and out into the world as God's people. And so all of this is packed into Shavuot or to to Pentecost. So then, that's one part. Okay, are you, are you with me still? You ready? The next part, we have to hear just a little bit more because this is all going to come together. Trust me, I, this isn't even half. But we need to look and see where fire and wind appear in Scripture as we move towards that day of Pentecost. So first of all, if you were to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, you would hear a very familiar story about the burning bush. Now, first of all, you would hear about wind at the very beginning. For the spirit wind of God moved over the waters of the deep and brings new creation, right? Out of, out of all of that darkness and chaos. Then you move forward and you get to Exodus chapter 3 and you see the burning bush where Moses, it gets Moses' attention because he sees a bush that is burning but not consumed. And he turns aside to go and see what it is. And we find out that the glory of God is in the bush. And that fire is a representation of God's holy presence right there. Remember, he tells Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. And that fire in the bush begins to show this presence of God. But we have to move on. We have to see that God's presence then is connected to fire. If you move on then to Exodus chapter 13 and 14, now all the the Ten Commandment thing has happened. All the plagues are moving out of Egypt. And what are they led by? It's not a rhetorical question. They're led by a pillar of what? Fire. A pillar of fire guides them and moves them, protects them. And then the wind of God comes. And what? When they find themselves against the Red Sea and there's there's the the armies of Egypt are coming down to take them back into captivity. Then the wind of God blows through the sea and parts the sea. And they're able to go through on dry ground to the other side. And then the fire, it tells us that God looks down from the pillar of fire, through the pillar of fire and confounds the pursuing Egyptians and they are destroyed in the midst of the sea. God protects in the fire. His presence is there. The wind comes through, splits the sea, provides a way for God's children and a new people are created. We go on. They're brought to Mount Sinai, the place where the burning bush was seen by Moses. And again, now it's not just a bush, but the whole mountain is on fire. And it is there in the midst of the fire and the wind that God describes a storm, that God's presence descends upon the mountain and He gives a new yeast. He gives a new teaching. He gives the Torah. He gives the teaching, the Ten Commandments. 
says, this is how we are to live together, and you are to live in the world as my people. And then we move on to Exodus 40. God's presence now is going to dwell among the people. He wasn't content to stay up on the mountain, just fire and smoke, but He comes down and they construct the tabernacle. God tells them what to do. And this is how I will live in your midst. And then in Exodus 40, we realize that the fire moves into the tabernacle. The glory of the presence of God moves in there and it is so powerful that even the priests can't do their job. And this becomes the place. The tabernacle becomes comes the place where heaven and earth meet, where God is going to be in the midst of his people. And he will lead and guide them, and he will be at the center of them when they camp, and God's presence will be there. Later on, I know this is a lot of Bible that we're moving through, 1 Kings chapter 8 then, the ta- uh, finally Solomon builds a temple, and the fire presence of God moves from the tabernacle into the temple. And fire now marks out temple space or God's space. That is where God will be among the people. You may have le- le- leaped ahead and know where we're going. But then Ezekiel says, because of the ways of Israel not living up to the teaching, to the yeast, Ezekiel sees the fire of presence, the glory of God, the ancient of days. Presence lift and move away towards Babylon. Devastated Ezekiel as he knew then that meant that the people of Israel would be led into captivity in Babylon. Now they eventually come back. They eventually are released and and eventually a new temple is built. But this is an important part to realize in in, in the Hebrew Scriptures. The fire never falls there again. They have the building, but they don't have the presence. They have the program, but they don't have the fire. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they hear the stories of how it used to be, and they hear the stories of the wanderings, and they hear the stories. It's built into their very nature. It's built into their very religion that they would go through these stories day in and day out, week in, year in, year out. They would move through the seasons of hearing how the presence of God moved over the waters and made all of creation, that the the fire fell on the bush and called Moses, and then the fire led us out of captivity. The wind blew away through the sea to create a people. The fire presence of God protected us and led us in the wilderness. The fire fell in the tabernacle seeing God wanted to be among us. The fire fell in the temple that God would be in our city. And now we wait. And it's been gone for so long. But we keep going through. We keep going through hoping for the fire to fall. That's a long time to wait. But then Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And I can't go through all the entire book of Luke for you today. But we know that it is baptism. The heavens opened. And the voice declared, this is my beloved, the one with whom I am well pleased. We know that on the Mount of Transfiguration, He was transformed. One like fire on the mountain. And he came down with a new teaching, a new yeast. 
That He died and was resurrected and now has told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem. And they wait and they wait and they wait. And they're in an upper room. Some people want to know, where is that upper room? For many, they think, well, it is really one of the porticos in the Temple Mount. It would be high up, visible, to be seen. That's how he could speak later to so many and see all of this. But they are to wait for the gift. They would receive power to what? Everybody say it with me. Be witnesses everywhere. And they wait and they wait. They are obedient. So now we jump into our passage. We can go through this pretty quick because I think this is a pretty familiar story. But we see that they're awaiting. And on the day of Shavuot, on the day of Pentecost, on the day they were to receive a new teaching, new yeast, on the day where they celebrated the fire falling on Mount Sinai and giving the teaching, on the day where they remembered the presence of God among the people, on that day... Something radical happens. The wind, a, the Bible says, a violent wind blows through the camp. The disciples had obeyed. They had stayed. They had been there. And the violent wind blows through, but this time not through the sea, but through sin in their lives that would part the ways for them to move and to become a saved new people. There was fire, but it was not in a building anymore, but it was in the believer. It was a fire that came, and not just, it it says, it came, the fire, like a volt. But then it separated, and it moved into tongues of fire above a believer, above a person. No longer just in a building, but in people would God's presence be. God's temple is now in human beings. The fire presence can be in you and can be in me, just like it was in Peter and James and John and the women who were gathered there for that day of Pentecost. Human beings now become the place where heaven and earth meet. Do you understand the significance of this? This was promised, and that is why they quote from the prophet Joel. This is what took place. Why is this important? Why do we need to hear this on a day like Pentecost, on graduation Sunday? Why do we need to hear this? Because just like me with a motorcycle, it didn't stop there. We get to get in on this story. We You and I right now today can become the temple presence of God in your body, in your heart, in your life. All that needs to happen is for the wind to blow through your heart and create space for the fire to fall. And then you will receive power to be His witnesses where you live and maybe even to the ends of the earth. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is what Pentecost for Christians, is all about. If you haven't ever heard this, you need to hear it today because this is good news. This is power and strength for your daily life. Not just a radical experience, but something that travels with you, someone who travels with you day in and day out. In fact, Paul would later write to Timothy and tell him that the Spirit that God gave us, this is the Holy Spirit, the same one at Pentecost, does not make us timid, but gives us power. Power to love. Power for self-discipline. How many of you could use a little love and self-discipline? 
How many in our world could use a group of people who have the power to love and the power to be self-disciplined in the ways that God calls them to be? Wow. So graduates, I want you to, I want to ask you, do you just want a party and a present? Or do you want the power? Do you want the presence of the Holy Spirit to be in you? Do you want the power to love? Do you want the power to have self-discipline that will lead to greater and greater love and mercy for, other, for yourself and others around you? Is that what you want today? Do you want a party and a present? Or do you want to know that you are a mobile temple of God's presence? Chloe, you are. You can be a mobile temple of God's presence when you work in our daycare, when you work at McDonald's, when you go to school. You can bring the very presence of the risen Christ with you, in you, through you, right in that place, wherever you go. But it's not just for graduates. So church attenders, raise your, raise your hands if you're a church attender. Okay? Good. Yeah, you're here, so you are. All right? Are you waiting? Are you waiting for God to fall in a building? I recognized something as I was preparing for this message, that often on Sunday mornings at 8.30 when we have prayer in here, I often say, God, fall in this place. Holy Spirit, fall in this place. And in, in hearing this and getting back into the teaching, I realized, you know what? I'm not going to pray that anymore. I'm going to pray, God, fall on these people here. Because it's not about brick and mortar. It's about flesh and blood. That's what God's interested in. God's interested in you, in your body, in your mind, in your heart. And He longs to pour His presence into you to give you the power of love and self-discipline so that you can go out and be a mobile temple in your workplace, in your family, in your home. This is what God calls you to. Are you waiting for God to fall in a building? Or maybe a worship style? Or maybe some type of format or program within a church? So let me ask you the question. Do you want your preference? Or do you want power? I'm going to repeat that. That needs to be heard. If you've been here longer than 10 years, that includes me, then you need to ask yourself, do I want my preferences? Or do I want power? Power to love. Power to live in my daily life. The power that only God's Holy Spirit can bring as God makes me into His temple. If you think I'm way out on a limb here, you just need to read some Paul. Because Paul talks about how we are the temple of the living God. Paul talks about how we are brick by brick built into God's temple. God says, Paul even goes so far as to say, you all are the body of Christ. The body of Christ, you, you have only to obey and pray and ask God to split whatever it is that is keeping you from becoming a new creation. And God will do that and God's fire will fall on your life as he calls you. Well, the beautiful thing is that Jesus gave us a symbol A beautiful symbol to remind us that we are temples. We are God's space. 
when he took bread and cup and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, this is my body, this is my blood, broken, shed for you. And you come up here and we come up here as often as we can and we do what? We eat it. And then what? Drink it. We take the body and blood of Christ into us. It's to remind you that you are a temple of the living God. You can bring the presence of the Holy Spirit with power and love and self-discipline to wherever God calls you in your daily life. We don't take this to just have a snack. We take this to remind us over and over and over again that you are the temple of the living God. Has, Has this helped you understand Pentecost a little better? I sure hope so. But I want you to know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, bread with no yeast, to show the suffering that would be to come. And he broke it and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood, shed for you, for the remission of sin. Take and drink. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite anyone who is hungry for God, anyone who wants the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to come into your daily life, to come and receive the body and the blood of Lord Jesus Christ, and to receive the grace that comes through these ordinary means. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit for what it means to us. What it reminds us of. What it represents to us. And we pray that as we take this bit of bread and this bit of cup, that we would be reminded in our daily lives that the temple space, the place where heaven and earth meet, is no longer in a building. It's in a body. And it's in my body. It's in my brother's and sister's body. And we now go as mobile temples of Your grace and mercy to declare the greatness of our God in all languages, to all people. I pray, O God, that as we take bread and cup, we would be continually reminded that we are what we eat, that we are called to be the temple of the living God. And that You would form and shape us like You did so long ago into the intentional, multi-ethnic, family, body, temple of the living Jesus Christ. Help us as we eat to be grateful that we get in on the story. We're not left out. And we can have Your presence in us. Help us with great gratitude to remember, to enter in. And if there is anything keeping us back, may your Holy Spirit blow through and separate and create a path for the fire to fall. For we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.